You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. On May 11th, 1996, Beckweathers died on Mount Everest. At least, that's what they told his wife. The truth was even more incredible. Weathers set out to conquer Earth's highest summit alongside a team of 19 other climbers. Like each of them, he had his own reasons for wanting to scale the mountain. Long plagued by depression, Weathers had pursued his love of climbing in hopes of banishing what he called the black dog from his life. But he wasn't prepared for what would happen once he reached the slopes of Everest. No one was. The 1996 climbing season would become the deadliest to date. Over a harrowing period of 18 hours, Everest would do its best to devour Weathers and his fellow climbers. Raging storms picked his team off one by one, including its leader, and Weathers began to grow increasingly delirious due to exhaustion, exposure, and altitude sickness. At one point, he threw up his hands and screamed, I've got it all figured out, before falling into a snowbank. And, as his team thought, to his death. As rescue missions struggled up the face of Everest to save the others, Weathers lay in the snow sinking deeper into a hypothermic coma. Not one but two rescuers took a look at Weathers and decided he was too far gone to be saved. But after being twice left for dead, something incredible happened. Weathers woke up. Black frostbite covered his face and body like scales, yet somehow he found the strength to rise up out of the snowbank and eventually make it down the mountain. You're listening to History Uncovered, brought to you by the digital publisher All That's Interesting, where we explore the uncharted corners of the natural world and the world past. I'm All That's Interesting's co-founder, Kit Westney. Today, we're discussing the incredible survival story of Beck Weathers atop Mount Everest. In 1946, Beck Weathers was a 39-year-old pathologist who was living in Texas when he began to feel like something was missing. Though he had a thriving practice, a wife and two children, Weathers suffered from severe depression that sometimes drove him towards thoughts of suicide. Depression was a controlling aspect of my life, Weathers later explained. I got pretty suicidal for a while, to the extent that it was scaring the hell out of me. But one day while on vacation in Colorado, Weathers stumbled upon a cure for his dark thoughts. Climbing. Weathers later wrote that climbing mountains, the more barren and remote the better, seemed to finally lift him out of his depression. He began to climb more and more and seek out increasingly difficult summits. But as his love of climbing blossomed, his marriage began to falter. Weathers' wife, Peach, warned him that his climbing obsession was creeping into his home life 
and creating a divide between him and his family. But Weathers ignored her. As he later wrote, I convinced myself that I was adequately expressing my love for my wife, daughter, and son by liberally seeing to their material needs, even as I emotionally abandoned them. By 1996, Weathers had climbed five of the so-called Seven Summits, the highest peaks on each of the Earth's seven continents. At the age of 49, he decided he would finally tackle Mount Everest, the tallest mountain in the world. Weathers paid 65000 for a chance to climb Everest and set off, leaving his marriage in shambles. He didn't know it at the time, but his wife was planning to divorce him when he came home. But Beck Weathers wasn't thinking about his wife, his marriage, or his family. He was fixated solely on his goal, to summit Everest. On May 10, 1996, Beckweather set out with a team of guides, Sherpas, and other pay climbers led by Rob Hall to summit Mount Everest. Hall was an experienced climber. He'd already conquered the seven summits and had scaled Everest five times. With his guidance and clear skies above, the team set off in good spirits. They had no idea that their trip would soon take a devastating turn. But for Weathers in particular, the difficulty started early. Prior to his trip to Nepal, he'd undergone an early form of LASIK to fix his short-sightedness. But in the cold, crisp mountain conditions, his newly operated upon corneas faltered, and Weathers found that he couldn't see in the dark. To make matters worse, he'd accidentally rubbed a tiny ice crystal across his right cornea, which blurred his vision. This was enough for Hall to make a bold decision. At around 7.30am, he declared that Weathers could not climb to the summit. Everest is an immense challenge even on the best of days, for the best of hikers, and a handicap like Weathers was too dangerous. Hall made Weathers promise to wait for him at the side of the trail as the others set off. Cross my heart and hope to die, Weathers assured Hall. Alone, he watched the others as they disappeared up the peak. Over the next several hours, Weathers waited, and waited, and waited. Others hikers passed during their descent and offered to help Weathers down, but he refused. He'd promised to wait for Hall. By around 5 p.m., however, it was clear that Hall was never coming back down. In fact, the team leader had run into problems of his own at the summit. Huddled with another climber who'd become too weak to continue, Hall would soon freeze to death. Meanwhile, a storm had begun to brew. Weathers finally connected with another guide from his team, Mike Groom, who led Weathers and the others to South Cole, a coal being a dip between two mountain peaks, in search of their camp. But they couldn't find it in the storm. Trapped on Mount Everest, away from the warmth of their tents, as a blizzard began to roar, the hikers hunkered down and simply hoped they'd survive the night. As the hikers huddled together, the storm continued to rage. One later compared the blizzard whiteout to being trapped in a bottle of milk. Temperatures plunged to 60 below zero and ice pellets shot through the air. At the same time, Beckweathers had started to slide into delirium due to both the intense cold and high altitude. As his horrified fellow hikers watched, Weathers suddenly leapt to his feet. He threw his arms into the air, and as the wind screamed, Weathers screamed right along with it. I've got it all figured out, Weathers wailed but the mountain had other plans. A huge gust of wind knocked him off his feet and sent him flying away. The other hikers assumed they'd seen the last of him, so when a Russian guide made his way towards them from the nearby camp, which was, all along, just a quarter mile away, 
They left Weathers for dead. But he wasn't dead. He was, however, getting close. When a second rescuer named Stuart Hutchinson came to help him the next morning, he examined Weathers and a nearby Japanese hiker named Yasuko Namba and decided that they were both far too gone to be saved. Namba's face was coated in a three-inch thick layer of ice, but Beck Weathers seemed much, much worse. He was buried in snow, his jacket unzipped down to his waist. Weathers had one frozen arm raised above his head. Ice covered his exposed cheeks and nose. Weathers, Hutchinson decided, was as close to death and still breathing as possible. He then made a heart-wrenching decision that many before him had made on Everest. He figured that neither would survive and that it was best to leave them both behind. It was better to leave their bodies to the elements than risk injuring or killing more hikers by trying to bring them back to base. And although Namba died on the peak, Weathers clung to life. As his wife was being told that he was dead, he suddenly came to. Weathers later said that at first, it felt like he was being tucked into a warm bed. It was really not unpleasant, he remembered. In a fog of hypothermia, Weathers lay dazed in the frozen snow. But slowly, reality began to break through. With it came a sense of urgency. Weathers realized that he wasn't trapped in a dream. He was trapped on Mount Everest. I'm on a mountain, but I don't have a clue where, Weathers later said, describing the thoughts that suddenly flooded his mind. If I don't get up, if I don't stand, if I don't start thinking about where I am and how to get out of there, then this is going to be over very quickly. Somehow, Weather pulled himself out of the snow. His feet felt like porcelain. His frozen right arm, which he banged on the ground, searching for any spark of feeling, felt like wood. But he had no other choice. He started to move forward. I am neither churchly nor a particularly spiritual person, Weathers later wrote, but I can tell you that some force within me rejected death at the last moment and then guided me, blind and stumbling, quite literally a dead man walking, into camp and the shaky start of my return to life. Uh, we had a whole crowd of folks that were pretty desperately lost, and the, uh, they asked Mike uh, to uh, go try to locate the uh, high camp because he was far and away the, the most experienced Himalayan climber there. And I accepted that. I, you know, I really felt that, that for the good of everybody who was in that group, that uh, Mike had the best chance of finding the camp and, and getting everybody th through it. And, and I'm not surprised when he saw me the second time that I looked like I'd already gone. <laughs> Miraculously, Beckweathers did indeed make it back to camp. To his fellow hikers, it was like seeing a ghost. This man had no face, one of them recalled. It was completely black, solid black, like he had a crust over him. But though Weathers had survived, many others weren't so lucky. Between May 10th and May 11th, in what was at the time the deadliest single episode in the history of Mount Everest, eight hikers lost their lives. And when Weathers stumbled into that camp, the other hikers privately believed that he would soon become fatality number nine. He spent the night in a tent away from the others. Weathers recalls little about that night, except that he heard people talking about the dead guy in the tent and wondered who they meant. Somehow, to the surprise of everyone, he survived to see morning. He was far from out of the woods, though. Weathers had to navigate down a steep descent so that a helicopter could execute a risky rescue. But although it seemed he would lose at least one limb, Weathers hadn't lost his sense of humor. They told me this trip would cost me an arm and a leg, he told his rescuers. So far, I've gotten a little better deal. In the end, Weathers lost his right arm from the elbow down, the fingers on his left hand, chunks of his feet, and his nose, which doctors were able to partially regrow using a skin graft from his ear. But he gained something much greater. After his near-death experience, Weathers gained back his marriage, though even that wasn't certain from the get-go. Upon his return, his wife said that she would stay for a year. If Weathers proved that he was serious about changing, they could give their marriage another shot. 
And so 25 years later, Peach and Beck are still married. As he noted, if you can't learn something from Diane, then you are seriously a slow learner. Today, Beck Weathers has given up on climbing, for good. He's joked that the most physical exercise he gets is from walking around the mall. He lost a lot on Mount Everest. He lost an arm and the use of his left hand. But he doesn't regret it, not a single bit. As he said, I gave up some body parts, but I got back my marriage. I got back my relationship with my kids. I've got a new grandbaby. All in all, if I had to do it again, every pain, every misery, every bit of suffering that comes with it, I'd do it again in a heartbeat. Thanks for listening to History Uncovered. I'm History Uncovered's producer, Kit Westneat. If you like the show, help others find us by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And be sure to follow the All That's Interesting and History Revealed pages on Facebook and Real History Uncovered on Instagram. Make sure you don't miss out on the new episodes and subscribe to the History Uncovered podcast. And keep up with our latest stories at allthatsinteresting.com. If you have a question about the show or just want to say hi, feel free to call us at 929-526-3029 or email us at podcast at allthatsinteresting.com. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to their other fine shows like Legends of the Old West and Redacted History. Until next time, keep exploring. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books. As I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.